Hello, my name is Brandon Boat, and you're listening to the Theater of Public Policy podcast, which presents the interviews from our live shows in Minneapolis. Steve Simon is Minnesota's 22nd Secretary of State. He was sworn into office in 2015. Before being elected as Secretary of State, he served in the Minnesota House of Representatives for 10 years, representing St. Louis Park and Hopkins. Prior to running for office, he worked as a lawyer in private practice. He graduated with a BA in political science from Tufts University and earned his JD from the University of Minnesota Law School. Our media sponsor this season is MinPost, which provides reader-supported news and analysis. You can read local, state, and national news at MinPost.com. Also, before we get to the show, we'd like to recommend another podcast about public policy. It's called Ways and Means, from the Sanford School of Public Policy at Duke University. And like us, they put a new spin on public policy. They pair real stories with the latest research, like the episode, How Do Criminals Get Their Guns?, They talked with an ex-gang member, along with a professor who's been researching the underground gun market for 15 years. It's called Ways and Means, and you can get it wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you so much for being here. It is great to be here. Thank you for having me. I assume that you can be here because uh, you're Secretary of State. Secretary of State's oversee elections, and there's not an election today, so you had nothing else going exactly on, right. basically. This is yeah. not playing hooky. This yeah. is actually on my free time. I mean, this is actually something I, people might hopefully know that we have secretaries of state, and yep. yet I, I imagine that what you actually do each day maybe isn't something people readily know. Like, what, what does a day in a secretary of state look like? Are you going yeah. and, like, checking voting booths for lice, or I don't know. I am not doing that, No. But, you know, so once in a while you get someone who thinks, Secretary of State, isn't that like the nation's top diplomat? I remember when I was campaigning for this job, I was at a Subway restaurant in Duluth. And a guy says, hey, somebody back there says you're campaigning for Secretary of State. I got a thing or two to say about Afghanistan. Not me. Not this office. So what we do. what should we do? Here's Uh, what we. Yeah. Well, here's what we do. A few things. I'll save the, you know, best and biggest for last. So we do a lot of stuff. We do all sorts of business and commercial filings. Check. We do something called the Safe at Home Program, which is a program for uh, uh, victims of domestic abuse and sexual violence, et cetera. It's an address anonymity program. But the signature responsibility of the office, the one that most people associate with our office, if you were to walk out on, on, you know, Lake Street right now and ask people, it's the elections function. It's that we serve as the chief elections administrator for the state of Minnesota, so we oversee that whole process for all elections in Minnesota. We don't actually count the ballots in our office, but we report them. We don't own elections equipment, but we certify that equipment. We don't train election judges, but we train the trainers, and we do all the legislative work and so forth. So the elections gig is it. I'd like to say I'm in the democracy business, and what a time to be in the democracy business, <laughs> for that sure. Is, uh, yeah. That is a great t- – I, I do uh, – I, I want to take half a moment to at least talk about, though, the, the business side of it, because that is a huge part of the – Responsibility. So, what is that? So, like the theater of public policy registered with yep. the secretary of state's office once upon a time, and probably every year since then. You got um, it. And so, but so, what is that function of the the office? What does that entail, and what is it that you are trying to do there? Right. right. So, the mission there, for me anyway, is to make it as easy as possible to start a business in Minnesota, and as easy as possible to maintain a business in Minnesota. So, we do the filing. So, every business of every kind, every size in Minnesota has to file stuff with our office, both when they start, and then, as you said, thereafter every year. So, that can be anything from a mom-and-pop store to a Fortune 500 company. They have to file stuff with us. And then, there are other related kind of filings. It can have to do with taxes. It can have to do with financing. It has to do with 
you know, all sorts of kind of corporate filings that we take care of. Wouldn't it be e- – I mean, if you really wanted to make it super easy, if we just got rid of that and you could – anybody could just be a business. Like, I'm a business. You're a business. We well, work on a barter system now. I suppose. But, you know, then it would be really, really kind of wild west. No one would know where anyone's going. Have you There's seen Deadwood, issues. the documentary? Oh, well, um, I, you know, I, I – I've seen my share of westerns. Yeah, okay. I don't know that we want to go back there. But it's but I but no, that's great. And you know, in terms of like headcount in our office, though people think of the elections function most often often when they think of our office by headcount, the business stuff, there are more people by quite a bit that work in that area than work in the elections area. Hmm. That's it. so um you teed up the the elections being the part that most folks know. So yeah. that does seem to be something some people are talking about. Like there's just a few. Yeah, yeah, there's things in the news. Uh so uh, uh, I, uh, it's almost hard to know exactly where to start. Why don't we start on the very positive note? Minnesota has uh, the highest voter turnout of all states. Uh, again, it had it in 2016, right. correct? Yep. Uh, just eked out. Is it New Hampshire is That's sort of right. second? You got it. Um, why? Why do we like voting so, so. much? I, I actually asked some, I'll just say quickly, before the Super Bowl, I did a segment for TPT Almanac, where I was asking strangers from other states about Minnesota, and this came up that we have the highest voter turnout, and this person said, really, people vote? It's so cold here. <laughs> That's, I, I got to unpack that one. I'm not yeah. sure how to react to that. Like, well, we do um, a lot of things, but yes. So, bigger sort of setup than that. Okay, so Minnesota has, as many people here know, we have a really great history in Minnesota of having great voter turnout. How good? Well... For one period, we were nine in a row. We were number one in the country, nine times in a row. Um, I mean, if you heard about that in any other context, right, if you heard about, like, an athlete who won nine MVPs in a (laughs) row or, like, an actor or actress who won nine Oscars in a row, you'd be floored. We were nine in a row. We started slipping a few years ago just a little bit. We were number six as of 2014. (gasps) If you're grading on a curve, six out of 50, you'd take that grade home to mom and dad, right? That's very solid. But I wanted to challenge us to get back to number one. So in 2016, we worked hard. We did a lot of things, which we can talk about or yeah. not. But in the end, when the dust settled, we got there. We got back to number one. That's where we are right now, back on top. Number one, Minnesota. Let's hear it. Number one. We are back on top, back, you know, top of the heap. There you go. So, I, so, I, I, so like, why, why? though? Yeah, yeah, like, because yeah. It, it seems like it matters a lot who – if the race is exciting or not, right? Uh, That's part of it. But, you know, that doesn't explain why even in boring years, frankly, Minnesota has been number one or very top of the list. I have a theory. I think it's primarily three things. Number one is laws. we got really good laws on the books that tend to reward and encourage voting, period. I mean, that's like half the battle right there. Reward no. voting? Like, you get the sticker, I know. You get the it's sticker. Like, should I, I be like, that's the reward. Should I be right. trying to right. collect something else? Say, like, it's is more there a, of a toaster? S- it's a psychic reward. It's that, you know, a warm place in your heart. But no, I mean, like, encourage voting and, and re- I guess reward it in that sense. Number two, I think we do have a culture in Minnesota, hard to put your finger on, that tends to um, say, yeah, elections matter. They are consequential. They're significant. People get elected to stuff. could be your township board. It could be president of the United States. And what they do is important or what they fail to do is important. Third, I think, is confidence. We have a sense, a sense of confidence in our elections. People know. They go to the polling place. They see the same old election judges that they see every time. I say old in, in the very best sense. Um, and <laughs> I they, feel like you've and, been scolded on this before, uh, potentially. Perhaps. Uh, but, but the point is, um, you know, they know that um, it's run well. They know that it's run honestly. It's not, a, it's not some sort of corrupt sus, cesspool. 
Um, it, it's a system that's just well done and well run at the local level. It's counties, it's cities, it's townships all over Minnesota, 4,100 precincts, 32,000 election judges, and on and on and on. I think it's those three things. There are things that we have to be careful about that can undermine the confidence of the system, and that very much is ripped from the headlines right now. But I, right. I think that explains, in my judgment, why we're at the top of the list so well, often. Speaking of you know ca- causing suspect in the elections, you know, yeah. just last week our president was on uh, national news saying there were millions Millions of illegal votes cast in 2016. Yeah. I assume several million of them in Minnesota since we got to have the most votes. Um, right. right. So, uh, so why is he so right about that? I, uh... <laughs> so after the election that he won, uh, but before he was sworn in, he said when he was still president-elect Trump that three to five million people had voted illegally. Three to five million. Now, he lost the popular vote by about three million. So whether those two things are connected... I leave that to the judgment of the audience. But um, I would say this. um, You know, even if you take the low number, let's say you believe that once in a while he exaggerates. (laughs) Okay? That it's not 5 million, that it's really 3 million. 5 million, that was puffery. That was, you know, exaggerating. It's really 3 million. At 3 million, Minnesota's share of 3 million illegal voters, if you were to kind of slice it and dice it by Mm -hmm. population, our share would be north of 50,000 people. Let's just put that in perspective for a second. Voting illegally is a felony. We would have to more than double the prison space in this state to accommodate all those new felons. I'm being generous. It's closer to triple. I say more than double, close to triple the amount of prison beds. So when are we building the new prison? Well, uh, you'll have to take that up with Governor Dayton and the legislature. But the point is, that has never happened in Minnesota. It isn't happening, and it will never happen. So we're fortunate. Um, You know, uh, we have a very small, isolated, contained number of sort of incidents of any wrongdoing at the polling place. It's very, very small. Uh, it's not zero, and we all want it to be zero. I mean, everything, anything more than zero is, is, is too many. We want it to be zero. But um, we've got a very good system. It's very honest. It's been tested, battle-tested in statewide recounts, and we should be very proud of it. And I think, you know, people wouldn't in this state, it just stands to reason, people would not vote in such high numbers year after year after year if they really, really thought that it was some sort of corrupt uh, system. I mean, just I, wouldn't. I'm I'm asking you to probably play a little bit of pundit here, but I mean, is that part of that mm, a line of argument though? Then is not necessary to mm-hmm. make that case one way or the other, but just to suggest to put that uh, idea in people's heads, like it's not um, it's not something that you can trust because there is all of this uh, potential chicanery. I mean, I think there's always that possibility that people are telling these tales because maybe they want a certain result in certain quarters? I don't know. But the point is, I can just tell you what the truth is and what the facts are in Minnesota, and those aren't the facts. How do you know? I mean, like, what if, uh, you know, you said you don't actually do the, the vote counting yourself. And you, well, what I said if, I didn't do the lice cleaning. The I lice cleaning. Right. Uh, I mean, what if there's, yeah. like, a whole secret, like, Illuminati network of election <laughs> judges that have been just, like, sit... I mean, you said they've all been doing it for a long right, time. They made right, a pact right. in the 80s, and they've just been thinking about this for a long time, like, plotting, like, when are we going to make our move? Right, right. 2016. Right. No one's yeah, seeing it yeah. coming. Uh... uh Improbable, uh, unlikely. Uh, I, look, we got a lot of checks in Minnesota. I mean, I, I will tell you this. Like, in terms of all kinds of um, potential mischief at the polls, okay, the fundamental design of the system in Minnesota is really, really good. That's not to say anything bad couldn't happen. I think it would be irresponsible to say nothing bad could ever happen, particularly on the cybersecurity front, which I hope right. we'll get into. Yeah. But, um, but, but 
it's really hard. You're going to get caught. Um, and you, know, you have it, there have been cases of people getting caught. Like, yeah, sure. And it, it's what like well, is sixteen? I think. No, or? I'll tell you what the number is as of today, as far as I'm aware. So in 2016, we had a state record nearly three million voters. Okay, as of today, which was the last time I checked, there were, and this is almost a year and a half in the rearview mirror, right? So there's been a lot of time to do investigating and all the rest. Um, the county attorneys report to us regularly about their progress with any such sort of prosecutions. There have been 11 convictions for any voter misconduct, 11 out of 3 million. Now, that's 11 too many. Okay, We want it to be zero, of course. But let's put this in some rational perspective. You know, If I told anyone in the audience or anyone out on Lake Street that your rate of error in whatever you choose to do, it could be stamp collecting or what you do for a living or you know, you're a tennis player or I don't know what you are, but it, your rate of error would be that figure, 11 over 3 million, which is close to statistical zero. You'd say, where do I sign up? That's near perfection. I'm so, just trying to think about what like an error in stamp collecting would be like. <laughs> <laughs> ah, this isn't a stamp app. It's just a smiley face sticker. Ah, why did I right, put it in my right. book? See, um, there's an error. Yeah. That's one of the 11. Um, who are, the folks who have the, those mm-hmm. eleven cases? What are those? Can you? Yes. Are they part of like a, a deep no. criminal no. Illuminati conspiracy? No, Come in on. fact, none of these eleven. As, as much as I'd love to indulge that fantasy, uh, none of those eleven people know each other or met each other. No, really, truly, and seriously, and sadly, what almost all of them are is um, people who are currently they're out of prison but still serving a felony sentence on paper, as it's called. Who? vote inadvertently. They were given the wrong advice or the wrong information, or maybe they knew someone in another state like North Dakota where the rule was and is that when you walk out of prison, you get your right to vote back. That's not the case yet in Minnesota. And so every year you have a handful or a couple of handfuls of people, sometimes more, who vote that way. And it's a sad thing because then they've reoffended and they risk mm. another felony, which is going to put them back in prison. So that tends to be, and, and, and I know uh, with respect to the 11 so far, that's a majority, maybe even be a large majority of those cases. So um, well, not, that's, not the Illuminati. So yeah. uh, as far as we know. Uh, right. So uh, to that, actually, that's a great just pointed question. Like mm-hmm. in, uh, should Minnesota get, go to that kind of rule like North Dakota yes. has? Yeah? Yes, that we, we should. That uh, people, when they are done serving their term, they can vote again. Yeah, so the Minnesota, the North Dakota rule is pretty simple. If you're in prison, you can't vote. The minute you step out of prison, because at that point, after all, someone's made the judgment that you are a safe enough bet for society from a safety standpoint, from an integration standpoint, from an employment standpoint, you're out and about and among fellow citizens. Um, That judgment's been made. And in North Dakota, and a growing list of states, by the way, used to be small, but it's growing every year, say, have that bright line rule. In Minnesota and the plurality of states, the rule is still, no, you only get your right to vote back once the prison part and the on-paper part is done. And the reason that's particularly harmful in Minnesota is we're a state that tends to weight sentences more on the non-prison part. So whereas in, a, whereas in a state like Louisiana, let's say, you might do crime X, whatever crime X is, and I'm just making this up. But crime, yeah, it's pretty serious. Yeah, crime it is. Yeah. It's a stamp uh, collecting related. It um, is. It is. So you might do in Louisiana, let's say, seven years in prison and three years of supervised release. In Minnesota, it might very well be re- reversed, uh, where it might be three years in prison and seven on paper. Well, that's seven years. You're out and about and paying taxes and putting your life back together, and, uh, and then you can't vote. And it's, in many cases, it's longer than that. It's 10 years, 15 years or longer where someone's out. And so it just makes sense from a lot of standpoints to go to that rule. And there's a growing 
uh, and, and very bipartisan uh, movement on both ends of the political spectrum. In fact, conservative columnist George Will just wrote a column um, this last weekend uh, coming out for that very position, right. saying there's no good reason to not let people who are out among us um, vote. Um, we do have a whole batch of issues, and I should say for the handful of folks who uh, haven't been to a show before, in the second half of the show, we open up for you all to ask questions of our guests. And so please start thinking about those. But you brought up the cybersecurity piece. Mm-hmm. This is another thing in the news all the time. So fine, maybe the Illuminati wasn't <laughs> like organizing uh, millions of people to vote illegally. But there were, obviously, um, Russian trolls that were going in and changing all of our votes to Pat Buchanan. Um, no. That is a joke that only, like, four people got. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. Oh. <laughs> um, so uh, this is a thing that c- comes up all the time, the election yeah. hacking. Yes. And so Minnesota was actually one of 21 states, right? Yep. That That's right. was, quote, the voter rolls were targeted. targeted. What yep. does that mean? It means, according to U.S. intelligence officials who briefed us in our office, both in our office and in Washington, that uh, sources or, or, or forces, I should say, acting in their words, at the behest of the Russian government. You know how I remember that? Because when they gave us the briefing and I was taking notes, it stuck in my head because you don't hear the word behest in a sentence too often. Maybe here you do. I, well, yeah, I was about to say, life. now I want to find a reason to behest it everywhere. So. Right, right. So they said acting at the behest of the Russian government. So they targeted us, okay? They didn't hack us. They didn't really attempt to hack us. But what we've come to learn, and the analogy I use is picture a car thief casing a parking lot, okay? Maybe he goes one or two days uh, in a row or three days in a row. He brings binoculars. He checks for traffic patterns or any security around the place. In our case, for whatever purpose, these folks acting at the behest of the Russian government didn't go in the lot. We don't know why. We'd like to think it's because of the great uh, cybersecurity fortress that we built over the preceding two years, but we'll never really know. What we do know is two of the 21 states had a very different situation. In Illinois and Arizona, the parking, the, the, the thief, let's say, not only got in the parking lot, but in the case of Illinois, got into the car. And so hmm. um, this is a real issue. It's very serious. What did, we're taking I mean, it seriously. With that analogy, what does yeah. that mean? Did they actually, so they, they were looking at the voting yes. rolls? Were they, I mean, it's Illinois, so I mean, did they take the dead off of the rolls? <laughs> or That I don't know, but they got in and they were looking at people's um, very personal information. This is stuff, by the way, in our state, I assume it's the same in other states, we have some sensitive information in that voter database, social security information, driver's license information, and we know that these Russian allied um, entities uh, got in there, and in the case of Illinois, and a little bit less so in Arizona. So we have spent a ton of time in our office over the last couple years really beefing up our cybersecurity defenses. It's a real, real issue. And And so... uh so you you use this analogy. It's eventually a car thief or whoever does all this because they plan to steal a car eventually. So is that mm-hmm. what people this the security and intelligence suggests is the goal here? That yes, they were casing this stuff for whatever reason. Maybe they didn't follow through in 2016, but that's their goal. Their goal, as it's been explained to me, is to undermine confidence in their system. So and you know it's this fine line too because. I like to say I'm striking a balance between sounding the alarm on this issue because it is real. We've been told by intelligence sources it's real to expect more of it from more sources. On the other hand, I want to sound the alarm without being alarmist, if that's possible. I wouldn't want... I don't think it is, but just (laughs) verbiage. I'm trying. uh, So what I mean by that is... I I think it's my responsibility to talk about this issue. It takes a lot of time, attention, resources. It is very real. 
I've been in in the briefings. Um, on the other hand, I wouldn't want any voter here or anywhere to say, man, I'm not going to vote because my vote's going to get hacked or my vote's going to be interfered with or it's going to be distorted. That's not happening. The, the other thing I would say is, uh, just like I said a few minutes ago, the fundamentals of the design in our system in Minnesota is really good. Case in point, we are still proudly old school. We are a pen and paper state, right? There are about 15, 16, 17 states that have touchscreen-only machines with no receipt or paper trail. I mean, we expect better from our ATM machines, right? At least there you get an actual receipt. That would scare the heck out of me. So in Minnesota, we're good old school, old-fashioned pen and paper, hard-to-hack paper. And so starting from there, and then there are other stages I could describe, but, um, you know, we have a lot of built-in checks. So I'm less concerned about the polling place, uh, although even there I would say it's not impossible. It's highly unlikely. What I'm more concerned about is the centralized function that we run in our office, that statewide database, the parking lot, so to speak. So – just to put a button on that, under Secretary of State Steve Simon, we never move off of paper ballots? Never. Absolutely never. And I've got backup by Democrats and Republicans in the legislature who strongly – they don't agree on a lot these days, but they agree on that, that we're always going to have a paper backup. So uh, looking at this going – we've got an election this year. I don't know if you know. Um, I've heard. So, I've heard that. But are we – so – all this stuff happened in 2016. Are we ready then for 2018? Like, if they yeah. like were casing the joint, do yeah. they know like enough now to to go in there and do this to to take the car and um, drive it back to I don't know uh, <laughs> Moscow somewhere? I will say this: I, I I feel good about where we are. You know, we we're working with um, the U.S. intelligence community. Um, frankly, there were some folks who were just in our office last week putting us through the paces, pointing out where we might have vulnerabilities, that sort of thing. Wait, what does that mean? Like well, they just they just I, showed up on unannounced and not they're just like, no, uh, this is a security drill. <laughs> Everyone uh, put on your hazmat suits. There's been a chemical attack and uh, the election has been hacked and uh, your wife's going into labor. Ready, set, go. Not quite. Not quite. But I would say, but they did put us through other you know, less amusing paces, um, having to do with what they call penetration testing. And, Not yeah, touching I know, that. I know. And, um, yeah, well, I'll let you run with that. Anyway, um, so, but the point is we're working closely with them. I feel good, uh, but, you know, I, I, it's kind of like a race without a finish line. You know, there is no tape that you cross. There is no end zone where you get to spike the football. You just always have to stay one step ahead of the bad guys who get smarter every year, some of whom apparently are funded by foreign governments. And so, yeah, we feel good, but we got to keep feeling good on a monthly, weekly, daily basis and investing the time and energy and, yeah, money, resources. So, and and to build on this, you recently got secret security clearance with the national government. So, which I, I mean, I don't mean to sort of like, (laughs) but you didn't get top secret, No, but it's okay. I didn't get top secret, (laughs) but you got secret. Think of it as making the junior varsity squad. Yeah. Right. That's good. So I got, right. Thank you. Thank you. I got a a participate, a participation ribbon too, along with it. Uh, so yeah, no, that they asked the department of Homeland security asked all of the secretaries of state to apply for and hopefully obtain a security clearance. And I'm told that secret is like the second highest level. Obviously, top secret's the higher, highest. So we've already gotten one big briefing, and we'll get some more. But yeah, I mean, they take it seriously, and so do we. And it is sobering, I have to say, being in on that briefing. So t- so just tell us everything that they said there. <laughs> Nobody listens to this yeah, show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but like, what, what yeah. is the point of it? Like, what are you getting out of that? I mean, it's obviously... <clears throat> so you- what we're getting out of that is the nature of the threat, what, we, what the future nature of the threat will be, and I, I will say only what 
has been said publicly, which is that we sh- should expect more of it and from more sources. And they also say a little bit about sources and methods. Not everything, not every name, but, but they, th- th- that's the general parameters of why something would be secret. Okay. Um, so uh, just a couple other quick things. So uh, because they're in the news, uh, ranked choice voting is mm-hmm. very much uh, in the news. So right now, Minneapolis and St. Paul both have ranked choice voting. Right. St. Uh, 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 Louis Park, Park mm-hmm. yes, is just about to maybe pass it or yep. whatnot. Interestingly— And Rochester, maybe. And Rochester, mm-hmm. maybe. Maine— Passed uh, yeah. it statewide or whatnot. Right. So there is a bill at the Minnesota legislature that would outlaw ranked choice right. voting. So where do you fall down on ranked choice voting? Yeah, I, I think that bill to outlaw it is really wrong. I mean, it, it, you know, the people of Minneapolis and the people of St. Paul, in a popular vote, voted this system in. And for the legislature, you know, you may not like it. You may like it. That's okay. Different strokes for different folks, right? But you go in and you just totally nullify a popular vote like that. I think that's wrong. My view on ranked choice voting is it's a noble experiment, uh, and I want to see how it plays out in more communities other than just the two biggest cities in the state. So I have told uh, the organizers from Fair Vote Minnesota, who I work with um, quite a bit at the legislature, that they ought to do what they're doing now, seek out um, RCV in other cities, other size cities, some suburbs, maybe some rural communities as well, to see how it works, to see if it's ready for some other role. But when I you were starting there, it yeah. sounded a lot like what my mother says about my career, like, that is a noble experiment. <laughs> but I can't wait till you get a real election job. Uh, <laughs> So so keep playing it. I mean, is there a point yeah. for you where you're like, yeah, the data shows or the the metrics, is there something you're looking for in terms of I feel like, yes, this is working or it's not working? No, I'm not sure. I know I'm not there yet. I'm not ready to say it's that, that we should adopt this system for any other election other than municipal elections, but maybe there will come a time. I'm not sure. I, I'd like to see if... Um, if over time we uh, some of its um, selling points have, have kind of panned out. I mean, you know, higher turnout, less negativity in campaigns, more empowerment for voters, getting rid of the spoiler factor, uh, you know, voting for the candidate you really like instead of strategic voting and saying, well, I can't vote for that candidate because that I mean that other candidate I hate will win. Um, those are its selling points, and I want to see if those sort of bear out. So, you know, I'm keeping an open mind, but I definitely think – more cities should be empowered to try it if they want to. If their voters love it, they should keep it. If they hate it, they should ditch it. But give cities the opportunity to try it out. Try it on for size. Speaking of municipal elections, uh, Minneapolis, St. Paul, uh, all do their municipal elections generally are on odd-numbered years. So we just had one back in 2017 mm-hmm. here in Minneapolis. Um, at least Minneapolis has maybe thought about starting to switch that to, so that it would line up more with, uh, you know, even-numbered when we have a lot of other races already happening. Is, what's, the, what's the pro and con of that from, from your perspective? I think the pro is you get more people voting in those races. So you get more people voting in mayoral races or city council races. I guess one uh, possible downside is those races would then tend to become more expensive hmm. because now the electorate that you're shooting for is you know, maybe double, triple, quadruple the size of what you did before. That means you've got to raise more money to reach more voters. And so, you know, it's a judgment call for each individual cities. But the trend has been to do just that, that more cities are choosing to align it with the other elections. I think there are only, I don't even remember anymore, there are only maybe three dozen cities in Minnesota. They happen to be some very big ones 
that are on the um, odd numbered, but most are now even. Yeah. yeah. And, and so and so it sounds like individual cities can decide when they want to have yes. their elections. Yes, exactly. Uh, one way or another. So uh, one last piece. You were a big proponent of early voting, mm-hmm. right? And right. Uh, w- both when you were in the legislature and as Secretary of State. So uh, early voting to me forever mm-hmm. seemed like, oh, yeah, that's great. Make voting super uh, – it, it, do we actually see that it is making a difference, that it's increasing voter turnout or – So it's hard to tell in terms of turnout, but I would say this. So we have the next best thing in Minnesota to, like, true early voting. We have what's called, and it's the most clunky term ever. we got to come up with a better. I like to call it vote from home, but the formal name is no excuses absentee voting. So it's like what your gym teacher, no excuses, vote. (laughs) That's right. Yeah. Exactly. So used to be, time, time was, 2013 and earlier, if you wanted to vote absentee, you had to sign an oath under penalty of perjury promising and swearing that you were going to be out of town that day or sick or too disabled, right? Uh, that wasn't working out at all. It was ridiculous. It was, it, it was absurd. And so we got, we, in the legislature at the time, we got rid of the excuse. So now anyone can vote absentee for any reason. You just order it. You can go to the website, mnvotes.org, by the way, and you can order it. comes to your home. You can vote. You know, take your sweet time over days or weeks. Just a little number for you. Before that law was passed, the typical percentage of people who voted early or voting absentee um, in Minnesota was 8, 9, maybe 10% in a stretch year. In 2016, it was nearly 23%. So we're coming up on a quarter of voters, and I think soon it'll shoot higher than that, who have voted even before Election Day has rolled around. This tells me Minnesotans love this. They are voting with their feet. They're doing it in droves. And it's because a lot of people say, you know, I want to vote. I want to do my duty. But then you don't get the sticker. Oh, but... But a law was passed last legislative session which would enable local governments to send along an I voted sticker with your absentee ballot. But what if you don't return the ballot? But here's the thing. Well, there's that. <laughs> yeah, you just that's walk a good around point. as a liar. That's right. You walk around as a liar. But the other thing is, let's face it, on election day itself, on that second Tuesday after the second Monday, it is kind of a little status symbol that day. Yeah. And are those people just going to like hoard it and save it until then and then put it on on election day? I mean, day, I wear gonna... mine constantly. Like, <laughs> right, right. I wear it to bed. Um, right. Uh, so uh, the, only, the only other thing, though, that made me wonder about uh, early voting is uh, we had a Montana – and now I can't – was it a Montana congressional race or Senate race? I can't remember because they, they're yeah. all the same because it's, all, it's Montana and there's only 100,000 people who <laughs> live there. Um, but uh, it was statewide. And, like, the night before the election, uh, one of the candidates, like, sucker-punched a reporter yes. – and then they were like, but 70% of people had already early right. voted, and they were like, oh, well, I guess I'll just stick with the sucker puncher. Um, and yes. so is there any sort of like – is that an argument like we should wait until the last moment just in case <laughs> candidates sucker punch somebody? <laughs> All right. Here's the system we have in Minnesota, which I think is a nice balance. All right? I'm going to wonk out on you here. Yeah. But it's true. We got a 46-day absentee ballot period, which is good. You can vote starting 46 days before the election. This year, that's September 21st, okay? You can start doing absentee balloting. You can keep it from day minus 46 to day minus 1 and turn it in there and vote over 45 days. But up until day minus 7, you can go and claw that thing back. So for anyone who sucker punches someone on day minus 8 or day minus 9 or day minus 29, you can go, oh, my God, what have I done? So just wait till the last yeah, week. Yeah, right, exactly. But in fairness, if somebody sucker punches someone on day minus 3, then it's too late. You cannot claw it back after one week. But until one week before, 
people don't know. You can fish it right out of the. Do people do that? Do people? A few people do that. I, it's not well known, and so probably only in the entire state of Minnesota, I'm guessing under a thousand people did that. But you can do that. Anyone who votes absentee until day minus seven, you can say, "Oh my God, what have I done? I saw this debate. I saw this ad. A scandal broke out. Somebody, I, I somebody punched voted. someone. Yeah. I drunk voted. Whatever it is, I uh, I want to claw that sucker back. And you go to your county or city and say, "I've made a terrible mistake," and they'll rip it up and give you a new one. Um, but can you, you do that again then? That's a great question. You've stumped me. Uh, I don't see why not. I don't see why oh, not. Oh, man, you could vote so many times. Well, kind of. But then, but on day minus, you know, six, five, four, three, two, one, that's it. You're stuck with your choice. Then you just... Yeah. Then you just Pretty like, good compromise. That's good. All right. Yeah. On that note, please, a tremendous round of applause <laughs> for Minnesota Secretary of State. Thank you. Uh, asking questions is always exciting if you're me. Um, but uh, also, for the first time, we have these lovely new stickers uh, that are very cool. Ooh, ah. They don't say we voted. We actually had a bunch of I voted stickers, for, but we don't know what happened to them. So uh, they were stolen. So, um, but uh, if you ask a question, I'll give you one of these stickers. So that's a good bribe for a sticker. Oh, look, it's a question, and he wants us. I should have said, I'll give you a sticker if it's a good question, but I'll just give it to you. Here you go. Okay. Oh. I have two questions. Some places have mandatory. I believe Australia maybe is mandatory required voting. And What do you think of that? As well as uh, voting on the weekends instead of a weekday. Okay. Good two-part question. I would say I do not support the Australian mandatory voting scheme. I think the right to vote also means the right not to vote. Uh, Interestingly, in Australia, though it's mandatory and though voters or would-be voters face a fine for not voting, their voter turnout, I'm always just sort of chuckle at this, it is only 94%. I always wonder who are those 6% out there who are just saying, you know, I'll pay the fine. I, I don't want to vote, but that's it. So, but 94% is pretty good. But I don't support that. I think people have the right not to vote. I hope they do. I'm open about saying everyone should vote, but should is different from must or, or you know, making someone do it. The second question was... About uh, voting oh, on a weekend or right. a holiday? Well, it gets a little bit complicated. And again, I'm going to wonk out on you a little bit, but... Um, that would take a change in federal law since you got federal elections. So if Minnesota were to somehow decide, hey, we want to change to a Saturday or a Sunday, then we couldn't have federal elections included. So that would be weird. You would do, so the only way to do it would be to do it in concert with the federal government. So that would be tough to accomplish in Minnesota unless we just decided that we want one category of elections to be on a Sunday or a holiday and leave the federal to another. But I don't think we want to do that. What about the... Uh, uh, in- India makes uh, uh, election day a holiday. It's, mm. Several countries do. Yeah, many countries right. do. Again, that's something that we probably have to do on the federal level, but there's a lot to that. You know, much of the rest of the world votes either on a weekend, say a Sunday, or they declare uh, that day a holiday, or in some cases both. It's both a Sunday and a holiday. So that's something for Congress to consider, but it might move the needle. The state ultimately couldn't have the final say. If you wanted all elections to be on that same day, it would have to be the federal government acting also. Okay. Uh, other questions? Who else wants a sticker? Uh, or just wants to know something about uh, the elections? Okay. Yes. Stickers are helpful. I really don't understand election hacking. I mean, I go in and I vote on my paper ballot and I stick it into the little machine. <coughs> and so uh, what... Where's the internet involved? I really don't understand what happens, and 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 
And I, I get the car metaphor, but I want literal. <laughs> okay. I'll stop with the metaphors. Uh, so here's, I should have been clear. So in Minnesota, we're pen and paper. There is no internet. In fact, under state law, that machine that the election judge feeds it into, yeah, that's a machine, but it must not, shall not, cannot be connected to the internet, and it isn't. So there isn't that possibility. I guess what some are afraid of, and let me make you know, no bones about it, no one has alleged this happening in 2016 or otherwise. Um, but I guess, I mean, ultimately there are results that are transmitted to our office electronically that night. That is an electronic transmission. And maybe the theory goes someone could add a zero or subtract a zero from someone's vote total if they got into the system. But, you know, we're going to know about that. Real human beings talk to each other. The counties do these post-election audits, they're called. Our office then comes in and does what's called a post-election review. And by the way, under federal law, we got to keep the actual ballots, the pen and paper that you can touch and feel and look at. we got to keep those for nearly two years so anyone can go in and say and see the ballots for themselves. I think when it comes to um, alleged hacking or possible hacking in the future, the bigger worry is not so much in the polling place. It's, as I mentioned, it's that centralized database that our office runs, that, and that's the parking lot in, in this analogy. There I lapsed into the analogies again. But, um, but that's the analogy there is, is that parking lot, and that was the problem in two of those 21 states who, like us, were targeted. I hope that helps. So what I, happens yeah. if they do go into <clears throat> the parking lot, right? Like, right. So if, they're, if it's not to change people's votes potentially, like – what, what's in there that we should be worried about? Well, there's the sensitive information that I me- mentioned. There's Social Security information oftentimes, driver's license information, voting history, uh, residential history, military history, other things like that. So they could either steal that stuff, which is a lot of I mean, people. Can't they just go get... on Facebook for that now? Like... <laughs> <laughs> we'll find out tomorrow when Mark Zuckerberg, uh, Zuckerberg testifies before Congress. But So there's that. And then there's the other thing. What if they just went in and zeroed out a bunch of people's voter registrations? What if you showed up to the polls and they said, sorry, you're not on the list? Now, the good news in Minnesota is we have the ultimate backstop, which is we have same-day or election-day voter registration. So let's say everything went wrong. Someone or something got in there and zeroed out and deleted every single one of the millions of voter registrations. Let's say that happened. Now, it would be a bit more chaotic at the polling place, no question, but we still have that backstop. We're lucky. We're one of the 14 or 15 states that has that same-day registration. So though it would be a bit chaotic in the polling place, if I'm not on the list and I go in my polling place and I say, what do you mean I'm not on the list? I voted here for for decades. They said, tell you what, you're not on the list, but the good news is why don't you just go over here and fill out one of the voter registration forms and just re-register. So that would happen. It would slow things down, but no one would be totally disenfranchised. So that's the good news. So I I have another hand here, but since you brought it up, same-day registration, one of your predecessors, Mary (laughs) Kiffmeyer, who is now in the Minnesota legislature, has, in the previous uh, legislative session, I don't know if it's come up this time, has proposed moving Minnesota from, instead of having same-day registration, to having provisional ballots. Right. And I'm wondering if you can, A, just sort of explain what the difference between those two is and then what you think about this. Right. Well, I oppose provisional ballots in Minnesota. Here's what provisional ballots mean. It's one of those wonk words. Here's what it means. It means for the first time in our history as a state, we would have a maybe pile of votes. You'd have the yes, we're going to count them pile, no, they're spoiled, or for some or other reason we're not counting them pile, and then we're going to have a new pile that we've never had since 1858 of statehood, which is a maybe pile. Maybe we'll count it. Maybe we won't. Oh, and by the way, the legislation that sets up provisional ballots, balloting almost always puts the onus on the voter. 
puts the vote onus on the person being challenged, not the challenger. So all someone has to do is challenge you. Maybe you look funny. Maybe your last name doesn't sound right. Maybe they just think they haven't seen you, seen you around these parts before. And you are challenged as a voter. Uh, they think you aren't who you say you are or you don't live where you say you live. And guess what? The onus is on you, the challenged voter, totally flipping our whole system of presumption of innocence, and you got to do something in order to remove your ballot from the maybe pile to the yes pile. I think that's wrong. I think it's against our traditions in Minnesota. I will never stand for it personally, but if the legislature chooses to do it, I guess that's up to them. But fortunately, I think that idea is losing steam. At least I hope it is. Okay, we did have a hand. Yes? Uh. Yeah, I just wanted the sticker, but... I would like to ask, uh, rank choice voting, is it an administratively much more difficult than, than the voting that we now do, or what's, what would be the factor of difficulty there administratively? Yeah, so rank choice voting, I mean, I wouldn't say much more. It's just it's a little bit different. Minneapolis and St. Paul seem to have handled it pretty well these last few years. Um, so there haven't been major glitches. It does take, it tends to take, or it can take a little bit longer if you've got a really, really tight contest. But in terms of other forms of administration, it's not a whole lot tougher than, than, uh, than you know, kind of conventional voting. And we'll see. You know, other cities might choose to do it. I'd like to see other cities at least try it. Um, and we'll see how it pans out if it's ready for some other stage. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm not ready to say that yet, but we'll see. Okay, there's a hand right here. Steve, if you had control of the legislature and I would do whatever you wanted, what yes. would be your dream legislation? Okay. I'm going to I'm going and first can I just say I'm so, ho- hope you don't you don't mind me outing you. The person who just answered that question, please give it up for former Minnesota Secretary of State Joan Grill. Yay! <laughs> who served Nobly and um, with excellence, as Secretary of State from 1974 to 1998, 24 years. So, one of my mentors. Oh, I didn't know that. I did not know that. Wow, wow. Thank you, Joan. So her question was the dream question. If I could, you know, wave a magic wand at the legislature, I would have sort of an omnibus election bill that included at least the following things. First, something more like true early voting in Minnesota. We have no excuses absentee, but something that would have a period of time, maybe it's a week or 10 days, where you go to your actual polling place if you wanted to, and you can vote early. Wisconsin has a version of this. Many states do. Second, um, I would have what's called um, pre-registration for high school kids, 16 and 17-year-olds. California just went to that. They've already pre-registered 100,000 kids in high school. Third, I would move towards what we call automatic voter registration. There are about nine or ten states that already have it. It means what it sounds like when you go to get or renew a driver's license. You take that iChart test, and in addition, there would be a box that you could check saying, yeah, why don't you also register me to vote? Well, right now the system is you can check that box. We would flip the presumption instead of an opt-in to an opt-out. So now, unless you checked the box, you would be registered to vote. No one can force you to vote. It's not Australia. But... um, but you, but you could have that option or you could, be, you could opt out of it, but you would be registered to vote. And finally, as I mentioned earlier, I think it is high time that Minnesota joined the growing, very quickly growing list of states like North Dakota in making sure that if you've done your time in this state, if you're out amongst us trying to get your life back together, trying to be a model for your family, that we restore the right to vote for people who are still, who, who have done their time in prison. Okay, we have one more question. Yeah. Okay, related to that, since you mentioned restoring the vote to felons, 
Um, you mentioned that th it had bipartisan support, and my legislator, Representative Ray Dean, introduced a bill, and the Republicans are, are stonewalling the bill. They won't send it forward. So I wish there was bipartisan support in Minnesota. Well, to that I would say, and I've talked with Ray a lot about this, and we served together in the legislature, um, there is bipartisan support. Uh, uh, it was unfortunate what happened uh, the other day in that committee, but there really is, and if you look at who signed on to that bill, it's pretty wide support by multiple, not just a token number of both progressive Democrats and conservative Republicans, too, and maybe for different reasons, and I think over time we're going to get there. Uh, it may be, I hope uh, shorter time rather than longer. Uh, so we're just about out of time. So... Um I want, one question I wanted to ask you, you're running for election this year too, right? I am, yes. Uh, and this has always seemed weird to me. Like the, the person who runs the election is also I, running for election. And not only mm -hmm. that, like uh, you run as like a partisan, which always seems mm -hmm. weird to me. So like, I don't know, help me square that circle of like, why should it matter if a, a Democrat or a Republican is the, the Secretary of State? Well, so you're right. We do run with party labels. I run as a Democrat, so I have DFL by my name. And I think it informs voters about my values and about how I see the office. And I see it as absolutely about um, voter access and about making it as easy as possible for all eligible Minnesotans to vote. Others might see it a different way, so that's a signal to voters about a certain value set. However, I will say, and no one modeled it better than Joan Grove for 24 years, once you get into that office, and I really mean this seriously, um, once you get in that office, I don't care who you are or what your party it is, it is your duty. It is a qualification. It is a requirement for the office, I should say, that you do not put your thumb on the scale for any candidate period. It could be someone you love. It could be someone you hate. It is absolutely improper to do that, and no one who takes the job seriously does that. So there is that divide. We run with party designation, but what we, once we get in the office, we take an oath to be absolutely fair to all, and I've tried to do that. Uh, so how do you campaign? Like, oh, oh, yeah. yeah. You do, oh, no, no. I'm, I'm very open about uh, my sort of value set, and there are others who disagree, maybe in this room. I think the office at its best is about encouraging and rewarding and strengthening the right to vote. I think it's the fundamental focus of the office is to make it as easy as possible for all eligible Minnesotans to vote. That is the highest priority. That is the highest value. Not other things. Not things like hunting down the relatively few number of people uh, that we have who do the wrong thing in the polling place. Not uh, making it sort of a criminal justice outfit. One of my colleagues in a different state has, has persuaded his legislature to give him prosecutorial authority, direct prosecutorial authority to go after people who do bad things in the polling place. Uh, that's not a good use of resources for our office in this state. So there's a whole set of values that comes with where I'm coming from, and then there are other people who have held the office before and who might try to hold the office in the future who have a totally different idea about the role of the office. They think it should be about other stuff. Okay, so last piece that I'll ask you, which and it's just very important, and it is something that I care a lot about, but uh, voting. Like, we do vote very well here in Minnesota, and um, wh however you choose to vote, I'm a big believer, like, that people should absolutely vote, like, no matter what. Uh, I have lost friendships over, like, just not being very happy with people who decided not to vote one way or the other. So when you are talking to folks, like, wh what is your pitch in terms of, as you said, you have the choice not to vote but right. when you're telling folks you should vote give us give us your like 30 second pitch to folks well what i say is this 
because of the age we're in, I say this. Look, I know it's tempting to give in to cynicism. There are plenty of people, maybe you, I say, uh, <laughs> who are either disillusioned or maybe even disgusted with politics, with politicians, with campaigns, with the way, with the way that politics is practiced these days. I get all that. All of us in this room, all of us in this room have had that fleeting impulse to just skip it, just to say, you know, to heck with it. I'm fed up. I'm saturated. I'm over it. And to give it up. But what I say is don't do that. Don't think that by avoiding elections and voting that you're striking a blow for some cause because you're not. And I can't put it any better than the words I saw on a T-shirt a few years ago. And the T-shirt said, failure to vote is not an act of rebellion. It's an act of surrender. And particularly to our young people, I tell that story and I make that my message because I want to tell them when you turn 18 in this country, I'm way behind, beyond 30 seconds, aren't I? Uh, when you turn 18... It's good. It's yeah, good. You brought when, it, the t-shirt when, gives you an extra 20. It does. Okay, good. When you, when you turn 18 in this country, you get a lot of things. Hopefully a slice of cake, hopefully a gift, a pat on the back, okay? But you know what else you get? Formal political power. Don't throw it away. Don't surrender it. You might be tempted to. You might think you're striking a blow or making a protest, but you're not. You're just surrendering, so don't do it. On that very powerful note, please, a tremendous round of applause for Minnesota Secretary Thank you. Thank you for listening. This show was recorded live at the Bryant Lake Bowl in Minneapolis. If you'd like to attend a show in person or even work with us, you can find out more information at our website at www.t2p2.net. This activity was made possible by the voters of Minnesota through a grant from the Metropolitan Regional Arts Council, thanks to a legislative appropriation from the Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund.